0: Life can throw you a curve, and if you're like many men, getting things straight is paramount. We're talking about Peroni's. If you haven't, then you know we're talking to you, and no pictures are necessary. The team at the Male Fertility and Peroni's Clinic in Orem understands your dilemma. As one of the most experienced Peroni's experts in the world, you can be sure you're getting the best treatment possible. Why suffer when you can be treated by the best? End your trouble with the curve, and visit Peroni's.com to schedule an office visit or a free online video consultation. I'm Scott Mitchell. Thanks for listening to this classic episode of Helmets Off. I record new episodes every week, so please subscribe to Helmets Off wherever you listen to great podcasts. Today, uh, I'm super excited about my guest, Mr. Mark Eaton from the Utah Jazz. 12-year career, uh, NBA All-Star, NBA All-Defensive Ma- mountain of a man and uh one of the career uh shot block leaders of all time in the nba mark how are you i'm
1: good scott how are you this morning
0: well i'm fabulous absolutely fabulous i love doing this i really appreciate you coming on the show uh i gotta start out with water polo <laughs> what water <laughs> polo I, so so people need to understand i'm six six. okay and i And I met you and I'm not sure should I call you Mark or Mr. Eaton because you are you are a man Uh, because I'm I'm not I am not a small individual. And when I met you, I was looking basically at your chest, which never happens for me. It's so it's so unusual. (laughs) And you just uh, so so water polo. I mean, did you touch the bottom of the pool?
1: Uh, actually, I did because uh, growing up in Southern California, the reason I played water polo is that I grew up at the beach and I was always in the water. And uh, I had a group of friends of mine that that uh, I hung out with a lot. And when we went to high school, we we're like, "What are we going to do?" And then someone said, "Well, let's play water polo. We all swim." So uh, that's how it started. And um, they back then in the in the seventies in California, most of the high schools had two pools. They had kind of a lap pool that was like three and a half feet to five feet deep. And then they had a uh, perpendicular to it, like a diving pool, which was like 12 feet deep that had diving boards, but it wasn't uh regulation size for a water on that. So you always played in the shallow pool and they would just, they would flood it up to the deck level. It made it another foot or so deeper, but yeah, you could, you could pretty much touch it. You could touch it one end anyway. And so I would just uh, sit down there as the goalie with uh, my, uh, just my head sticking out of the water. And then when they would, when they would drive the, the ball down towards the goal i would just stand up and yeah, you know, smother them so. <laughs> so uh is
0: that legal by the way to to touch the ball it
1: was then i don't know if it is now do you get, get uh, like a
0: personal foul and a red card or something yeah like yeah <laughs> I,
1: i'm you know i'm sure by now they've retrofitted all the pools because it, you know that was kind of the heyday of water polo and and it become became much more popular after that and in orange county down there in california produced some great water polo players uh and uh, there were some great universe or great high schools down there that uh, that cranked up many of our nation's best water polo players over the last thirty years or so.
0: I've played most sports, but water polo—never done it. I—I I don't know that I could do it. Um, It—I don't know that treading water thing. I—I'd I'd sink to the bottom. I'm not a swimmer. I'm—I'm uh, I'm full of lead, and I—I just—I don't float. I don't swim. I—I I hate it. <laughs> so when when did you grow? At, at like what age?
1: Uh, I was always growing. I grew till I was 21 years old. Really? And uh, I probably left high school at 6'10 or 6'11 and grew to 7'4 between 18 and 21.
0: Wow. So did you ever play basketball growing up? Um,
1: you know, just a little bit at the park. Uh, and then in high school, um, I think my freshman year I was on, they had an A, B, a, T, a B team, and a C team. The C team practiced out on the asphalt. That's the team I was on. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, I played, uh, I played on, I was on the team the next few years, but really didn't play. And uh, I was pretty uncoordinated because I was growing so much at the time. The coaches, well, most coaches don't know what to do with the big guy. And um, uh, so I just kind of floundered at the end of the bench. And after high school, it's like, well, you know, that's it. Athletics are over and it's time to it's time to get serious about doing something else and getting a job.
0: So why, why being an auto mechanic? What, what, what drove you there? Well,
1: uh, my father was a, a Marine diesel mechanic and vocational instructor at, uh, Long Beach city college. And, uh, I'd grown up working with him on boats on the weekends and the evenings in the LA Harbor, um, Marina Del Rey, places like that. And, and, uh, a friend of mine that i had who was i grew up with uh called me one day after high school and said hey i'm going to this this trade school in Arizona for a year they'll give you a government loan to help you find an apartment to help you find a job and it's a one year course and you you know you get certified as a automotive uh you know service technician so i said that sounds fun let's go and uh so we we packed up our cars and moved to Arizona for a year and I worked at an all-night jack-in-the-box restaurant, graveyard shift. I worked graveyard shift at a gas station, and, you know, we we managed to work our way through the school for a year, and then um, and I moved back to Southern California after that and, uh, and promptly got fired from the first job I had at a Cadillac dealership and just didn't have enough experience for that job and then ended up in a tire store in Buena Park, uh, initially changing tires and then got back in the mechanical side doing alignments and tune-ups and brakes and things like that, you do in tire stores. And, and it happened to be right down the street from uh, Cypress Junior College. And that's when this junior college coach, uh, Tom Lubin, came buzzing around the corner one day and saw me standing out there talking to the customers like, what is this guy doing here? <laughs> and, and came in and started talking to me about giving basketball another try.
0: So when when he did that, well, oh, gosh, there's so many things I want to ask you about this. Uh, but let, let's just start with when he talked to you, were you, yeah, that sounds exciting, or were you reluctant, or did you?
1: Uh, uh, very reluctant because being 7'4", uh, everybody told you what you should be doing with your life, right? I mean, you just don't hide in society very well. And <laughs> so each and every customer that came into the tire store, uh, said, you know, you should play for the Lakers. And, um, and I said, you know, it really used to irritate me and frustrate me. First of all, I was very self-conscious about being tall. And secondly, it just irritated the heck out of me that people would come in and tell me what I should be doing with my life. Like I didn't walk around telling everybody else, like, you know, you should do this out of the other thing. So, uh, so I was pretty short with people. Uh, that's a good pun. And, uh <laughs> Uh, you know, and I just I just was I initially this guy, Tom, was a, a chemistry professor by trade. So he kind of had that science professor kind of personality, you know, kind of in your face, very excitable. And uh, he started telling me what I should be doing. And I told him to get lost. Um, but he eventually came back time after time after time and and convinced me that he knew something that I didn't know, which was how to teach a big man how to play and uh, he'd had some experience doing that with some other big guys and I eventually um, decided I went out I went out with him on a Saturday morning for I guess it was a Sunday morning for a couple of hours um, out on the blacktop at Cypress College he started showing me some of these big guy moves like a hook shot turn bank shot things you could do without dribbling the ball they were pretty simple one-step moves from low post and, and it was intriguing and so I eventually decided to uh work out with them every evening after I got done as a mechanic at work and and after 3 or 4 months of doing that I decided to enroll at Cypress College and uh and give it a try for 1 year.
0: So you mean to tell me that he spent 4 months with you convincing you to play basketball in in a way that he was working with you, he was spending time with you and and it was after 4 months you decided to play?
1: yeah uh, i I was uh, like I said, very reluctant and you know, and I hadn't really done anything athletic for for three years. I mean, I was eating junk food every day at the Jack of the pox and and you know, hanging out with my friends on the weekend and uh, you know, not really thinking about athletics or basketball whatsoever. and so to transform my body from that and back into something resembling an athlete took uh, took some time. Uh, and I really was, you know, I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work out. Like I really, you know, sucked at this in high school and why would right. this be any different? But he was there for me every evening and he said, come on, we'll meet, we'll meet at the gym and we'd spend a half hour of footwork and a half an hour hour agility drills and a, and a half an hour in the weight room. And then like just a half an hour, just like trying to catch and shoot the basketball because my, I mean, my knees were pretty stiff and my hands were pretty tight. And so we had some work to do there, uh, just to get yourself in an athletic position, but uh, but I hedged my bet. I kept my job as a mechanic even the first year of junior college, uh, and I you know I worked in the morning. I went to practice in the afternoon. I went to night school, and um, you know, and I had a very a pretty successful year. Our, our team was very good. We played a very in a very tough division with uh, some of the tougher junior colleges like LA City College, LA Southwest College, um, you know East LA College. Those were all in our division, so we played some pretty good competition. And, um, after that first year, I think we went 34 and two and then it was starting to get serious. And then it was like, all right, I need to, I need to switch it up and, and, uh, and do this full time. And <clears throat> so I quit my job as a mechanic and I got a job as a car salesman and as a bouncer at a disco. And that's how I paid through to get through the second year at, uh, at the junior college. And then, you know, then I had to decide what to do after that, which was ended up being going to UCLA
0: not a bad choice um so do you ever think about him and and that he was one bold enough to come to you and say look i i see something in you but but beyond that because you know a lot of times we'll say things or the the persistence that he committed to you and and, and uh do you look back on that now and say you know wow that that was cuz i look at it and just listening to you going that that was a moment in your life that really changed the course of your life you know had had that not happened maybe who, know, who knows where you are today and do, do you ever do you ever consciously think about it or, re, or recognize you know how how important that was and does it mean anything to you
1: um all all the time uh because you know what i do for a living now is motivational speaking and i I speak to businesses across the country and I tell this story, you know, sometimes five or six times a month. And um, and so I, it is – the more I tell it, the more amazing it is to me that it actually happened because, like, what are the chances of that? You know, you're just some guy in a tire store on a, on a corner of a busy intersection and, and here this coach comes around the corner – uh, that worked with some big guys in his life and sees you. I mean like what are the chances of that? It's, it's a bit of you know, it's kind of a miracle and uh, So yeah, I think about that all the time um, You know that, that that I was there and if I hadn't been fired from the other job I wouldn't have ended up at the tire store you Yeah, know? so you just never know where the the journey of your life's going to go But I guess I've always been kind of open to saying okay. Well, what is this about? Let's let's take a look at it at least and even though, as a you know, twenty-year-old or twenty-one-year-old, I was still still had some kind of a anger issues and emotional issues about being tall. Um, you know, I said, okay, well, let's let's give it a whirl for a little while. And and the fact that he committed himself to me, I think, was the biggest thing. You know, he just he just said, look, I'll be here for you every day. I'll I'll, I'll get up in the morning at six o'clock and and drive over here and get you out of bed, and we'll run for an hour before you go to school. You know, and and I'll be here in the evening for you to to show you these extra things and coach you and teach you and uh, that to me was just so remarkable that he was willing to do that day in and day out and that's just uh, you know it's something as our kids grow up and stuff you hope there's going to be that one mentor that comes along and says hey you know have you ever thought about doing it this way uh, because that's just like you said it makes all can make all the difference.
0: You know if there's a, a reoccurring theme with with this show and the guests I've had and I've had several guests and from very different backgrounds in sports and, and other areas of life. And I keep hearing this same thing that they, there was a person in their life. There was a moment in their life where someone just took an interest in them and really spent and, and really spent time with them. And, and it was, it, it was beyond just, you know, kind of from their ivory tower, giving this flowing speech, it was rolling up their sleeves and just saying, you matter, you're important to me. And, and because of that, uh, I'm going to invest, the most precious thing I have. And that's my time with you. And it's, I, I love right. to hear this. I, I just do. So I have to, cause I'm a tall guy too. Right. But, but you're a tall guy. And, uh, I have to ask what's it like for you being tall? Because for me, like, like if I, if I'm going to purchase a car, it's not the, the car that I just love to have. It's, it's the car that I can fit in. That's, that's the most important right. thing. And so what is, what is it? You know, because you talk about it, and I get so annoyed and short with people. Uh, what What's it like being tall?
1: Well, it's an adventure. I mean, uh, every time you walk out the door, you're on stage. So, um, you know, even the trip to the gas station, uh, you know, to pick up an ice cream at 2 a.m. is an event for, for the people that are there. <laughs> uh, that's that's memorable for them, and I hear about it years later. You know, people say, oh, yeah, 15 years ago I met you at uh, – you know, the Chevron station in, uh, you know, in, in price. And uh, <laughs> um, it's uh, so you're just conscious of that. And um, people comment and have things to say. And some of them are kind of silly. And some of them, they think are the most creative thing that they've, you may have ever heard. And, but but it's, in reality, it's not. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> right. So uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, um, it's an adventure every day. And, um, I think it's probably more challenging on the people around me than it is on me. I've gotten kind of used to it and I'm just like, okay, whatever. and I move on. But, you know, for my wife sometimes, or when people push her out of the way to, uh, say, can we take a picture with you or things like that? There's, there's other, there's other, uh, I guess, consequences of it that, um, you know, that you deal with, but you know, it's okay. It's been, it's been a great life and, uh, I've had some real fun and got to do some exciting things, and uh, there's been some great opportunities that have come because of it as well.
0: There have, and and you know, it, it's interesting for me when when I met you. There was the, the first thing that I noticed. There was just a, there was a comfort level with you and who you are, and how you are, and what you are, and and there's also this. Um, this is a compliment, by the way. Uh, there, there's this. You're you're um, you're not off-putting. You're you're approachable. You're you're real. um, And and even though because there is a presence to you. I mean, it just is. I mean, you're right. You cannot Mm -hmm. hide. And and but it's beyond a physical presence. And there's that you can tell that you you're comfortable being Mark Eaton and you're comfortable with who you are. And and it it speaks volumes to the person you are. And and, uh, so uh, kind of a cool thing. All right. uh, Wilt Chamberlain, what does he mean to you?
1: Well, uh, Wilt was a special person in my life uh, because um, during the summer at UCLA, uh, he lived just above campus there in in Bel Air, and he would come down in the afternoons. And the greatest pickup games in Los Angeles were played in the men's gym at UCLA every afternoon. And uh, he would come down every night or every afternoon and still uh, still playing though even though uh, even though he'd retired he was still you know such a tremendous athlete he could do anything he wanted athletic and even after playing 13 or so years in the NBA uh, he'd still come down and and uh, play in the pickup games with us and um, so who, who all who all played in those
0: us- games? Who, who all played mm-hmm. in those? Who, who were the players? Oh yeah. Um,
1: Magic was there. James Worthy, uh, Michael Cooper, uh, Net, you know, there there's so many great players that came out of LA and they'd all come home in the summertime and that's where we all hung out. Uh, I mean, it was, you know, it was tough to hold court there. I mean, you really wow. had to put a good team together uh, because there's some very talented players, guys that played in uh, colleges across the United States and they would come home for the summertime as well as a lot of NBA guys. And, um, uh, so uh, you know, so I played these games every day, and and uh, and I was kind of struggling, uh, trying to find my place out there. I, I didn't get much playing time my junior year at UCLA, and I was trying to figure out like you know what I needed to do to improve and get better. And I just kept playing and playing, and and one day Wilt watched me running up down the court, and he, and he pulls me aside. And he says he says you know why are you running up and down the court trying to chase these these little guys? He says you know. C- come come here with me for a minute. And he he took me out of the court and he put me right in front of the basket. He's like, here's where you need to be. Like, this is something you can be really good at, which is playing defense and guarding the basket. And he said, you know, instead of chasing little guys down the court, stay here, you know, um, block some shots, uh, stop players from getting to the rim collect the rebound, throw it up to the guard, let them go down the other end and score it, and then just kind of cruise up to half court and, you know, see what's going on before you go all the way down there because you've got to be the last line of defense. You're going to be the first guy back. If there's a quick shot taken. And it was a, um, a life changing moment like you spoke about, uh, for me, because I finally understood where I fit out on the basketball court. Like I just wasn't a guy who was like trying to run and shoot like everybody else. Uh, you know, now I had a defined role and it was this, Kind of light bulb went off in my head of like, oh wow, this is something I could do, and that that was a, a special day for me because from that point forward, I completely focused on defense and stopping the other team and uh, playing kind of within my skill set in a way that would benefit everyone on the floor uh, as far as my teammates, and um, uh, that's you know that that turned into a 12-year NBA career focusing on that one thing
0: you know it reminds me of the jungle and how in the jungle there are all these different animals there's giraffes there's little tiny lemurs there's lions there's all all these different animals and they all survive and they all function very well and they all have their unique abilities and um capabilities and and they learn what they do well and it's just it, it's a great story i love it uh i'd love i mean it's just funny yeah, well, Wilt Chamberlain pulled me aside. I mean, it just it's kind of a cool thing. So, you're drafted. It, it, it is. I know yeah. it is. I I, I, I love I love. I mean, and you're just uh I mean, do you? I guess the question is at that time did or, or it was like, you know, hey, I'm playing basketball at UCLA and and we this is just what we do. You know, all these, you know, Magic Johnson all the guys show up and we play basketball. At that time, did you realize how cool that was, or did you did you learn to appreciate it more as you got older?
1: Oh, I think I learned to appreciate it more as, as you know, later, because honestly, my college career was not very good uh, at UCLA. I didn't play hardly any, but the things I learned there in terms of basketball knowledge from being around guys like that was invaluable, and, um, you know, I kind of had to sell my way into the NBA, but... Uh, but having that, that, those experiences about, you know, playing against those guys, which are the same guys I ended up playing against the NBA, uh, you know, it was something that shaped my career and shaped me as a, as a ball player, um, that, you know, I would not have gotten if I'd wandered off to, you know, some school in some other city and then that didn't have as good a competition. Cause my coach, Tom had told me, he says, you know, if you're going to get better, you got to play against the best competition. And so he would take me and we played in the, you know, the Sunday summer leagues at Crenshaw High School and at Compton College and, you know, some of the places downtown where the real good runs were because that's that's what you need to do to get better. The first few times I went to some of those places, I was like, well, wow, I got the snot beat out of me. Um, but then I figured out what I needed to do. I needed to get tougher. I needed to get stronger. And if I was going to compete against the best guys, you know, I had to hit them back. And um, those kind of experiences just, you um, you know, growing up down there in, in LA was, uh, you, I think, you know, just shaped who I became as a player and and forged friendships. You know, I still have friends. We you know, some of the guys I played with in, against in the NBA, we still talk about those days of, you know, playing on Sundays at Crenshaw High School and things like that. And some of the guys that were there and the characters and uh, it was just uh, it was really a special time.
0: I can imagine. So <laughs> you're drafted. Uh, in the fourth round by the Utah Jazz. Had you ever been to Utah? No. What was your... No, what, only,
1: my only impression of Utah was I had some friends that had boats and went to Lake Powell
0: once in a while. Okay. <laughs> Which is a great, great place. I mean, it's a great impression it to does, have. Yeah. It's, it's a, been incredible.
1: Um, but beyond that, no, I had no knowledge of Utah uh, other than they had a team there. It was a bad team and a team that might give me a chance. <laughs> so that was That was our... You know, our marketing plan was uh, you know call the, call all the worst teams in the NBA and ask for a tryout. And uh, uh, and the Jazz, you know, Frank Layden actually answered the phone back there because there wasn't any secretary back then. <laughs> I think the front office consisted of about four or five people. And um, and I so did he tape your
0: ankles to- before practice too? I mean, he's <laughs> Answers. Uh, pretty
1: much yeah he was the general manager, the you know the uh, head of marketing and public relations uh, the head coach uh, anything else you used him to be that was Frank and uh, and so he asked for some highlights from UCLA, which we sent them which were very short and then I found out uh, I actually went with my coach down to San Diego one day my coach Tom and and Sven Nader who played at my junior college was playing for the Clippers. And we sat down there with the head coach at that time was Gene Shue, and I can't remember the, I think the assistant coach was Paul Westfall and just asked them after practice one day, like you know if you were me, like what would you do? How would you get more exposure? This is before the internet or anything like that, right? Yeah. So uh, they said, well, once you go, once you go, pay, you know, buy a plane ticket. There's a agent camp in Cincinnati. There's another one in Jersey City that some NBA scouts go to, and uh, and so that's what I did. I, I signed up for those two three-day camps or like a weekend showcase kind of deal and, you know, play four or five games over a couple, three days. And, and um, I got a, a little bit of exposure there. And one of the scouts in New Jersey was a friend of Frank's uh, and he called Frank and said, Hey, maybe i would take a look at this guy. And that's how Frank drafted me in the, in the fourth round. And then he came out and played, watched me play in the summer league in Southern California he pulled me aside and he said, you know, he said, I, I can tell you, you know, you're kind of rough, but you've been working. And he said, look, I'll, you know, if you come to to our camp for, for a you know, early, six weeks early before anybody else gets there and work with our coaches and our weight trainers, et cetera, he said, you know, you're kind of rough, but I'll give you a chance to play for a year and we'll see how it goes. And uh, he was willing to guarantee the, the contract back then, which was, I think, uh, 45000 and um, I'm like, that sounds good to me, Coach. I'll be there, <laughs> um, and that's
0: how it started. So what what does he mean to you? What, is, what does Coach Layden mean to you?
1: Frank? Frank's uh-huh. like my second dad. Uh, he was willing to take a chance on me uh, when when really no one else would. I, I really had no college resume to speak of whatsoever. I was just a big guy. Uh, but you know, like Frank always said, you can't teach height. Yeah. And he was at a point in a juncture with the Jazz where they were shifting from this kind of run and gun, um, you know, team that the, that had come from New Orleans with Pete Maravich and everything, to more of a defensively oriented, run on opportunity kind of team. And I fit perfectly into that plan because I could anchor the defense, and uh, we could we could force teams to you know. Try and drive down the middle, get a steal, get a deflection, get a block shot, and then, you know, we had Ricky Green, we had Daryl Griffith, we had Adrian Dantley who could who could run and and I'd get the rebound, throw it to Ricky Green, and then just watch do exactly what Will Chamberlain showed me, and watch this whole fast break uh, take place down at the other end of the floor with some amazing guys, and uh, that became the cornerstone of who the jazz were for many years and still are in a lot of respects in terms of when, you know, when they're playing well, that that real focus on shutting down the other team and creating opportunities for yourself. And so Frank, you know, Frank stuck with me. I I know he had chances to trade me over my career. I played for him for seven years and Jerry for five. And, um, and yet every time an opportunity came up, they're like, no, we're sticking with him. And uh, so I'm, grateful and honored that, uh, that they would would do that and stick with me. And, and, you know, here I am 30 some odd years plus later, still here.
0: At what point after, you know, this whole process, you come early, you, you're, you're working hard. You, you have this year. At what point did you feel like, okay, I can do this. I belong. When did that happen?
1: Um, probably my, um, it was about December, my rookie year. We were playing in Dallas, uh, which was an expansion team at that point. And um, they put me in the second quarter, and I blocked like six shots in pretty quick succession and a couple, of three plays down the court. And I remember running down the court and looking over at Frank Layden, who was looking over at Phil Johnson, the assistant coach, and Scott Layden. And they were all looking at each other and nodding like, you know, this is going to be good. And at that point in time, I'm like, okay, I think I could do this job. And, um, you know, and then a few months later, um, they, they traded, uh, Danny Shays, who was a starting center to Denver for 300 grand and, and, uh, Rich Kelly, I think primarily to make payroll. <laughs> and I got the starting job <laughs> and I said, well, I'm going to be a starter. I want to be a... And I kept, I kept working even harder to, uh, you know to to keep that job as a starter because that's where I wanted to be.
0: Yeah, I I, I asked that question because it, for me it was a very powerful moment in my life and that you know this was the the culmination of the my childhood dream. You know, I I belonged. I was there. I could do this and do it at the highest level and it was a very powerful and and I know the moment exa- exactly when it happened. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I got to ask yeah. I got to ask you another Frank Layden question because and I've had him on a show, and it was just an absolute treat and I think the world of him and um I asked him a question, and an hour later uh he answered it you know and, we, and 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 in between there was just this amazing experience and I've watched some um some highlights and and there's these conversations in the locker room so how how do you and and maybe I don't you know know him as a coach? How do you, how do you not laugh all the time, and how do you like take him serious, you know? Because because it's pretty intense, and and there's this you know focus and all this. Do, do, how do well, you do I, that?
1: You know, Frank probably told you this, but I, I think in public um, he understood his job was to be the face of the team, I and mean, the team had no no. Uh, personality uh, when we were, you know, first, when when he first became the head coach, which a job he really didn't want. He wanted to be the general manager and Sam Battistone kind of told him he had to be the coach. Um, And he kind of reluctantly took it over and they said, okay, you know, nobody knows who we are. So I'll be the funny guy because he's great at telling jokes. Uh, And so that was kind of his public persona and, and, you know, he was pretty funny in private as well, but he also had an intensity about himself uh, being a guy that had been in the army you know, growing up in Brooklyn, high school coach in Staten Island. He'd coached at Niagara. Uh, Hubie Brown was his roommate. I mean, he's he'd had some some good background in basketball, and, uh, and he he focused us on taking care of each other about looking out for each other. Uh, he was, you know, he was the coach you could call at two o'clock in the morning if you had a problem. He kind of became a surrogate father to a lot of guys. He would tell you things like, you know, if you called your old high school coach lately, when's the last time you called your mother? Uh, He kept it real and at the same time convinced us that if we played together that the individual accolades would show up, you know, because in those days it was all about how many points do I score? How many shots am I going to get? How much playing time do I get? You know, that was success when you're on a, a bad team. And he convinced us that by playing together a little bit better and, and starting to win some games, that uh, our value would actually increase individually. And and he was right. Um, and so over time, through the kind of cajoling and, and he was hard at times, he was, you know, he came down on guys pretty hard. I mean, there's some pretty famous incidents of him, you know, getting into it with the mailman and, and AD and, and uh, other players. Um, because he, he wanted that effort. He wanted to see guys play uh, together and, and, uh, you know, and really dig in on defense and really create some, some opportunities. And it became fun to watch as well. And so, uh, so he was great to play for. He was a very emotional coach in terms of being up and down. Um, but we always knew what he wanted and, uh, and he made us believe, I think through his humor and through his, just his personality that, that that we could achieve something greater
0: so tell me about um john stockton when 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 he got there did you say okay he's gonna he's gonna become the all-time you know he's gonna become john stockton i mean did you see that at that time or was that something that evolved over time
1: yeah it, it, it evolved i think you know he was he was a good player and obviously he you know been in the uh the final rounds of the Olympic team uh, coming out of college back there when Bobby Knight was a coach. And, and uh, we knew he could play a little bit, but Ricky green was the guy back then. And, and uh, he was putting up some pretty nice numbers and, and John had to sit behind him for a couple of years and kind of see what he was doing and figure it out. Uh, So I don't think it was apparent right at the beginning, um, but within, within two years, I would say, you know, he started to show his, his metal out there and show how tough he was and, and the kind of conditioning. And once he, you know, cause you know, when you get into pro sports, it takes a couple of years to figure out like, okay, what do I need to do here? How do I, how do I really compete at this level? Uh, and, uh, it's, so once he started getting that, um, boy, things started changing pretty quick. And then of course, you know, the next year the mailman shows up and, uh, it, it takes off from there. but. But I, I think people forget sometimes that it just didn't happen overnight. That John had to work on his game, just like Carl had to work on his, and uh, combine with the coaching to get it all going the right direction. Uh, but John was the consummate professional. I mean, he, uh, you know, he didn't do a lot of talking on the court. Uh, he talked with his game, uh, but his intensity just inspired you. Uh, he was ready to go every night. And in fact, I was I was sitting with Fred Roberts last night at the Jazz game, and we were talking about you know the injuries the Jazz have had this year, and you know, I thought back. I'm like, John played 19 seasons. He played 17 complete seasons without a missed game. And it's like, you know, that's that just kind of sums him up right there. He was always ready to go every day.
0: So, do you think um, why 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 do you think the injuries are more prevalent today, or guys are resting more?
1: Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a different kind of game. Uh, we we looked at it, we took a different approach to it. Um, and we had some good care, you know, there's a, uh, our our trainer Sparky was really good. And then, and then, and then he would send us up to see this guy, Dr. Bueller, up in Kaysville now, uh, who was a great, uh, muscle specialist and
0: chiropractor
1: who could get your back. You know, he had some special techniques that he used to, um, to deal with a sprained ankle or a pulled groin muscle that, you know, didn't involve, uh, cortisone shots or other things like that, some holistic approaches that could get you moving and get you back. And so we utilized resources like that to, to get ourselves going. And I, I still think they just don't do that anymore. I don't know exactly why, but um, that's just kind of the protocol we followed back then. And, and, and it worked. And then there was also just that factor of the leadership of the team with John and Carl that, you know, if you were gimping a little bit, they just kind of give you the sideways glance, like uh, you know, you will be out there tonight. Yes, John, I will.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so was it was it was it those guys? Was it was it all of you that just said this is this is who we are and this is this is the way we play? Or or was that was that coach Layden and the, the kind of the mantra? Where where um, did that I, come you from? Know,
1: I th- I think it was a combination of, of wanting to improve because we were a team that was kind of the doormat of the NBA, and we were working on rising up, and that was an exciting part, uh, exciting time to be a part of that, of like, who can we knock off next? I mean, Frank would tell us, like, if we're not going to be in the playoffs, we're going to affect the playoffs, we're going to knock off the Celtics and the, the Pistons and the Lakers, et cetera. Uh, and so he inspired us where we wanted to be out there all the time. Um, and I think all of us were gamers, like we didn't want to sit on the bench, like I wanted to be in every game, every minute. I'm like, I didn't want to miss one minute of one game at all possible. And um, and, and then John and Carl kind of embraced that and they became the best conditioned athletes on the team. And I think you have to give some credit to Adrian Dantley for this, because he always, even though he's a pain in the rear to play with sometimes, <laughs> he was always in the best shape of anybody on the team and and he i think inspired mailman to do the same and, and john just was like that anyway um but then when those guys came to training camp the rest of the team was like oh no here we go I'm like these guys not, don't come to training camp to get in shape they're like ready to go from day one first practice uh and so that became kind of a calling card of our team and i think all those factors combined created the culture where you like you wanted to play and if, and if you were going to be a you know a whiner or whatever or you had other issues or whatever or, you know Carl and John were just kind of like well, okay whatever like let's go play like, who, who wants to be out here and so I don't know I don't know how it really relates to today's game because like today's players are a lot different than the guys from the from the 80s and 90s but um, that's just how we did it
0: So can can a small market team win the championship is it possible
1: Um Oh, I think uh, given the the way the salary cap's gone here recently, uh, the new collective bargaining agreement, that it's, it's probably more probable now than it, than it was. Although you still got teams like you know the Warriors that that will uh, you know exceed the salary cap and pay the luxury tax. So, but I think it's still possible. I, I you know I think you get the right guys there, and and uh, uh, and you get them playing together. I mean, I I love the nucleus of the Jazz they have now, and I think you, know, you find a couple of uh, maybe a couple one or two guys that you could find that, that could really make it uh get that put it over the top I think you could get in the conference finals and you know from there you know as you know in the playoffs it's all about who's playing well at that time of the year Uh and I mean I thought that the Jazz played a great uh, series against the Clippers and I thought you know and you know the Warriors were a very tough matchup but then we had some key guys that, that weren't up to snuff. You know, I mean, we missed George Hill out there tremendously, and, and Derek Favors has been gimping, and we didn't have Alec Burks, who's a great player, and, you know, and there's just been other factors like that, that that played into it where you're not playing at full strength, and the Warriors had, like, you know, they're playing 10 deep of all guys that are playing at the top of their game right now so and looking pretty invincible.
0: Yeah, I, I was just I was wondering, you know, is it is it that the superstar has to you have to buy a championship? I mean, is that how it works today? Is it you know? Is it-
1: well, you, I I don't think it, it's not quite the same as as like in baseball where you can maybe you know be a George Steinbrenner and buy all the best talent and win a championship. Basketball, you've got to have that that rapport and that ability to learn how to play together. I mean, even when Kevin Durant first joined the Warriors at the beginning of the year, it was a little clunky. Right, You know, they had to figure out where does he fit and how are we going to, you know, there's only one basketball. We got all these guys out there that are great scorers. Uh, So it takes time to build that rapport. Um, But, again, it is about that rapport, and it doesn't necessarily mean you you have to have uh, Michael Jordan. certainly helps, but I I think that uh, you look like at the Pistons team of the 80s or something like that. There are – there's other teams out there um, that – or the celtics a few years ago um, that can do it uh, you just have to get the right players at the right time mm-hmm. in their career and and that goes back to you know great personnel decisions
0: so could you um, be as dominant today in the Nba with the way the game is could you still be really effective
1: uh you know i, I you wonder about that sometimes because for a while we kind of got away from the big centers uh, but uh now like you know, look at Rudy gobert i mean he's you know he's he's a talented guy he's probably much more athletic than I was as a player and but, but he's a big guy and he's very effective out there and so yeah I still think there's a, there'd be a place for somebody like me um, to to get out there and and again you know my, the key to my success was coming to a team that gave me uh the ability to play and get better and improve and mature as a player uh and didn't expect instantaneous results and so uh, I think that you know, that's key for you know guys that need a little bit more development because you're if you're on the warriors and you're sitting at the end of the bench you know, you're not going to get much better so you're better off on a on a team maybe in a smaller market or this or is rebuilding where you can get that experience and and again that comes back down to you know having having maybe an agent that understands that can help you find the right team as opposed to i just want to go to the the, the best team because right. that's not that always is not always the best fit
0: so who was the guy you played against that was – that just really gave you fits? I mean, who was a tough out for you?
1: Uh, some of those, well, obviously some of the smaller centers that, you know, some teams employed back then, like uh, Alvin Adams played for the Phoenix Suns or Dan who played for the, the, the Nuggets. The big guys that I played against um, that gave me the greatest trouble um, – you know, initially, well, Kareem obviously, because we played them a lot. Um, Akim Olajuwon, when he came in the league, as uh, with a soccer background, having quick feet and a seven-foot body, um, and and they were in our division. Uh, he probably gave me the most grief of anybody because he was so quick. And the of one year, he led the NBA as a center in steals and block shots, and uh, that's just how quick he was. Um, so he he was one that probably you know. Gave me the most trouble of anybody I played against.
0: So uh, I, I have one, well, I have two more questions. First one is, looking back now with some distance and time and perspective, in your career, what was the thing that meant the most to you um, with with basketball?
1: I think what meant the most to me was that uh, the coaches and my teammates understood what I brought to the game every day. And, uh, you know, there were times when the, you know, you weren't necessarily the fan favorite or people thought you should be doing more than you were. And the coaching staff was always quick to pull me aside and say, you know what, what you do helps us win games. And, uh, and being by, being selected by the coaches to play in the all-star game, uh, meant a lot to me as well. That was a real, um, you know, stamp of approval on my career that, I did mattered out there and what I did, uh, you know, be not the most athletic gifted, athletically gifted guy out there, um, that, that I helped my team win games. And I think that's, that was the most, um, uh, memorable part, the most important part
0: of my career. So in your life, um, who, who is your hero? Who's the, who's the person that has meant the most to you in your life and, and is your hero?
1: Well, I think, uh, you know, I think my father, I learned the work ethic from, um, you know, he was a guy taught school all day and then would go work on boats uh, and, you know, in dirty engine rooms till the wee hours of the morning or the evening. Uh, And uh, I think I learned the work ethic from him. And then and then my coach, Tom, who's. who saw something in me that I didn't see and could see a little further than I could see and was willing to stand next to me and show me what I needed to do. And is still one of my best friends today. I talked to him yesterday, um, you know, and uh, the fact that he, uh, all he wanted to do was, was show me something maybe I couldn't see or couldn't do myself and then stood back and watched me blossom from there, uh, get always available, never wanted anything from me other than just some tickets to a game. Uh, and uh, that, that, to me, is just, you know, worthy of somebody you, you call a hero. Yeah.
0: Well, I can't thank you enough for being on my show today. I, I thoroughly enjoy doing this. I love getting to know you and hearing your life and your story and, and, and just you know, how you think about things. I've really appreciated it. And so the best to you. And if I can ever help you with anything, I'm happy to do it. And I just really appreciate you being on.
1: Well, thanks, Scott. I really appreciate that and as well. It's great, uh, great visiting with you. And look forward to seeing you again one
0: day soon here. Let's do it. All right. Thanks, Mark. Okay. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening. I record new episodes of Helmets Off all the time. So make sure you hit that subscribe button